0: Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. On this episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Helen evans Howells, a GP and allergy specialist about cow's milk allergy and how GPs can manage infants presenting with the signs of an allergy. Alongside working as a GP and an allergy specialist, Helen also runs the Peanut Immunotherapy Clinic in Southampton Children's Hospital and is chair of the charity Anaphylaxis UK's Clinical and Scientific Panel. In this upcoming conversation, Helen explains the key symptoms of milk allergy, the different types of formula that can be used, and when babies may need a referral. She also talks about when to do a wee challenge and reintroduce cow's milk, and how to advise parents on weaning. Using insights from her own experience, Helen has lots of practical advice for GPs and other healthcare professionals on managing the allergy and how they can best support parents. This bonus episode of Talking General Practice has been sponsored by Reckitt Mead Johnson Nutrition. So I'm really pleased to be joined on the podcast now by Dr. Helen Evan Howells, who's a GP and allergy specialist. Helen lectures internationally on allergy and sits on various expert panels, including as chair of the charity Anaphylaxis UK's clinical and scientific panel. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Helen. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So before we start talking about milk allergy, you obviously trained as a GP, but how did you become interested in allergy and why did you try to develop an interest in this area?
1: I think like many people who develop a a specialist interest, it's because it affected my own life and family. So essentially, my son, Ethan, who is 14 now and much taller than me, um, when he was born, he sort of quickly developed eczema, showed some signs of allergy. I was advised to take milk out of my breastfeeding diet, but without real explanation. So I did that. But his dad at the time was never really convinced that he had an allergy. So when I weaned him, I decided to try him on dairy, and he quickly swelled up, had hives, and obviously very definitely showed signs of allergy. And through the journey, essentially, I realised that despite training to be a GP at the time, I had no idea about allergies and made lots of terrible mistakes with his care. And his consultant suggested I uh, did some further training. And in my style, I went back to university and did a degree in allergy and then trained and worked with the paediatric allergy team in Southampton for five years.
0: What do your roles now, because you do a lot of work in allergy in various different areas. What things are you doing now alongside your GP role?
1: I'm still actively work as a GP but I have a private allergy clinic where I see adults and children because both sort of sides of the population are relatively poorly serviced really because we really do have very few specialists in the UK. I do a lot of online work so I support people for free online on Facebook with a group and I develop courses for parents of those with allergies so they can learn more about anaphylaxis or immunotherapy or things that are pertinent to them that are things we should be sharing within the NHS but that within the time constraints of appointments we don't have time and I do lots of lectures to healthcare. I work with the charity Anaphylaxis UK on, as a trustee for them and also chairing their scientific panel so a very broad day-to-day working life really.
0: So we're here today to talk specifically about cow's milk allergy. So what are some of the key symptoms of cow's milk allergy that GPs might see in infants presenting at the surgery?
1: So I guess it's important to sort of realize that allergy can take two types. So there's the IgE-mediated allergy, where you have immunoglobulin E against whatever we're talking about. So in this instance, milk. And that's the one that people often recognize quite easily. So they develop quick symptoms on exposure of hives, swelling, vomiting, tummy pain, diarrhea, congestion and possibly anaphylaxis. And that's the one you can test for. The harder one is the one that has a more insidious onset and typically takes quite a few presentations before it presents. So these babies tend to have upper gut symptoms of reflux, making them very miserable, lower gut symptoms of lots of explosive loose bowels, sometimes constipation, but we tend to call it soft stool constipation. So they strain and when they do go, it's soft rather than hard. They might have redness around the bottom, very difficult to manage eczema, congestion. And if they're very severe, they might have issues with their height and or their weight. And it's always important to check both because sometimes it's the height that's dropped and not the weight. But those babies are only the ones with the more severe symptoms. So you can still have sort of symptoms that are still very troublesome for the baby and the parents, but without the height and weight affected. And that's important to recognize
0: really there's lots of issues that could be causing some of these problems that parents might bring their babies in with. So what's the difference between colic reflux and cow's milk allergy? How can GPs tell which one of those things is causing the problems?
1: It is really difficult. And I always think this is one of the hardest allergies to pick up really. I think the IgE is easy, but actually as GPs, we're asked to fully manage these non-IgE-mediated allergies. And Parents often get frustrated that it's taken a while to diagnose, but it does take several appointments for it to appear because at the beginning, it might just seem like colic where babies are crying in the evening. But the key thing with the non-IgE allergies is they tend to have at least two symptoms and usually across two organ groups. So if you're looking at respiratory, they might be snotty congestive babies, then skin issues, so the difficult eczema, And gut issues. And as I say, that's why I sort of divide it into upper and lower gut, because it might be reflux, being miserable, but also the bowel things. So the key features is that they have at least two symptoms, and it's persistent. So these are the infants who will have gone to out-of-hours, health visitors, to the GPs numerous times. So I think already it should be raised as a possibility for GPs, if you can see that these parents have had multiple appointments and contacts, Something is probably either being missed or your explanations about why it might just be reflux or colic and not hitting the mark.
0: Do parents actually come thinking it's milk allergy and they want you to basically diagnose that? Or is it more of an open discussion still at that point? There
1: are like probably two halves, really. There's the sort of more innocent families who probably like me but I guess social media wasn't around 14 years ago so much who
0: just are
1: coming desperate saying this is my baby and I often see those much later on in the journey or you get the sort of more well-educated ones who have googled and looked and started to look for help online they often come via me it's really very difficult though, because I think the ones where they've been looking online have come to their own conclusions. It's then very difficult to persuade them out of that if milk allergy isn't the problem, because everybody online's told them it is. And so they can be quite a challenging set of parents. And particularly when they're breastfed, they're often the parents who I might find have taken every single food literally out of their diet, pretty much. Um, and still not improving the situation. And that's often because they're not allergy, but they take a lot of convincing to explain. So you can get either or,
0: basically. I was going to ask you about that. So the GP thinks it probably could be cow's milk allergy. So what advice do you give to breastfeeding mums? Is it about starting to exclude things from their diet to see if that might be causing the problem?
1: Yeah, so it's always talking to the mums about what would they like to do and making sure that this is shared. Because I have got a subset of mums who say, I absolutely am not taking these foods out of my diet. I can't live without the food. It's very hard. Obviously, breastfeeding takes a lot of calories. So, but most mums would be happy to change things. So I think it's important to recognize that it is very unusual for breastfeeding mums to have babies with the non-IgE allergies because not much of the cow's milk passes into breast milk, but it does happen. So we'd be looking at removing the cow's milk, but probably saying to the mums that it's up to 50% of babies might also react to soya. So if you go straight out and swap your cow's milk with soya milk, for instance, you might find they don't get better. So At that point, I don't usually cut soya, but I just say, be mindful that you don't go and drink shed loads of it. It might cause issues. And so the sorts of foods I think about with breastfeeding mums, and it's trialing it one at a time, not taking everything out, would be cow's milk, soya, egg and wheat, possibly. But when you start getting beyond that of now I've got fish out and nuts out and meat out, I start to think this sounds like it's something else going on. And it's important then to recognize that because the babies will start to lose weight if mums aren't having a good diet and mums themselves will start to have nutritional and health issues if they take everything out. And also ultimately they're not getting the right support. So for mums it would be remove cow's milk, possibly soya, as the first two to four weeks but also to make sure they then have 1,000 milligrams of calcium, 10 units of vitamin D to support them against osteoporosis later in life.
0: When would you get to a point where it might be advisable to say to a breastfeeding mum they might need to stop breastfeeding and switch to formula? Is that ever likely to happen?
1: It's really rare that that ever happens. I would say over the sort of nine years that I've been doing allergy, I can only think of a couple of times that I've ever advised mums to stop breastfeeding. And those have been times really where either the baby is ongoing losing weight and mum has tried her best with dietary adaptations and it's not making a difference and we're worried about the health of the baby or mums are just restricting more and more and more and we're just trying to see if we can settle this baby with say something like an amino acid formula that's completely broken down but It's usually around concerns over the weight despite mum's best efforts and in agreement with mum because where possible it's better to breastfeed because we do have lots of evidence now showing that improves the gut bacteria of these babies and therefore might be protective against other allergies. So it frustrates me when I hear from families that they've been told by not just GPs but often paediatricians to stop breastfeeding where there isn't good reason And frankly, the mums don't do it and they get very upset about it, but they're made to feel bad when actually they're doing the right thing. So stopping breastfeeding is a last resort from our perspective.
0: Okay, that's really useful for people to know. So there's two types of formulas that should be used in cases of cow's milk allergy. So we're we're probably talking about babies that are already on formulas and if there's a cow's milk allergy suspected. Can you explain the differences between those two formulas and the indications for each of them?
1: So broadly speaking, when we're looking at allergies, then we might use either an extensively hydrolyzed formula or an amino acid formula. There are sometimes we might use a soya formula, but not for those babies that are under six months of age and where you're clear that soya isn't a problem. But broadly speaking, in primary care, the only ones we're actually prescribing are extensively hydrolyzed or amino acid, because soya you can buy. So the extensively hydrolyzed formula is basically where the cow's milk um, chain is broken down into much smaller chains, and it's felt that up to 90% of babies, they're not going to react with a milk allergy if you give them that type of formula, whereas amino acid formulas, as the name would suggest, are literally completely broken down into individual amino acid formulas, so they're reserved for the more severe allergies. So the bulk of what we would be prescribing in primary care are going to be extensively hydrolyzed formulas. And in fact, in some areas of the country, that's all that GPs are allowed to prescribe until that infant has seen a dietitian to advise for something more.
0: So who does need an amino acid formula then?
1: So this is a slightly tricky question because it depends on which guidelines you read. But if you look at the ones we classically use in primary care, which are the International Milk Allergy for Primary Care guidelines, it would recommend we give it to anybody with growth issues multiple allergies who's had anaphylaxis or who has these more severe non-IgE allergies that we haven't really talked about but f or eosinophilic esophagitis so they're definite and then the guidelines vary but I think we all have them there if you have very severe eczema that's not getting better they should be switched to an amino acid formula Or if you have tried an extensively hydrolyzed formula for a breastfeeding mum who maybe is supplementing or swapping over and they were having symptoms breastfeeding, then they may well need to be converted to an amino acid formula. Or people who have had some improvement on an extensively hydrolyzed formula, but after two weeks they're not fully better, then we would recommend a trial for another two weeks or so of an amino acid formula to see was that what they needed.
0: If we're talking about formula-fed babies here, what advice do parents need to have when they're switching from the standard formula they have been using, the standard cow's milk formula, to an EHF formula?
1: So I always warn about the fact that these formulas don't necessarily taste as nice as cow's milk, or particularly if you were thinking about a breastfed baby being offered supplementary formula, which sometimes they would have as well, because they might be combi-fed. Um, and babies develop their um, taste buds by about three months of age. So if they're over three months of age, which is likely, that's going to be a problem. So for most children, you can either titrate slowly across from, the say, the cow's milk formula to the extensively hydrolyzed formula by taking a scoop of the cow's milk out on day one and replacing it with a scoop of the extensively hydrolyzed formula on day two two scoops out so just slowly titrate across and that's fine and safe to do as long as we're not talking about a child who say has had anaphylaxis when you just can't you know risk that or any IgE allergy to be honest or if you can't do that we can sweeten it with alcohol-free vanilla essence extract that works very well you can put a few drops into the formula and then slowly over time you can reduce that that works really well And the other thing that I advise, well, two things. One, it can make the stool all manner of colors, typically green, and it's fine. So long as it's not blood, we're okay. And just to sort of explain at the beginning, this isn't likely to just fix things overnight. And I just explained, if you think the gut's quite inflamed because we have an allergy going on, same as if you've had a really bad tummy bug, it's going to take days to weeks for this to settle So to give it at least two weeks and then make a a review at at that point so that we can assess how things are.
0: If the formula, the new formula is working, the baby seems a bit happier after a couple of weeks. How long should GPs be prescribing the formulas for so that parents can obviously get them on the NHS?
1: So at some point we need to just confirm the diagnosis. But once we've confirmed the diagnosis and we're happy this is definitely a non-IgE mediated allergy, then at least for the first year of life we would be prescribing these formulas it can be a bit variable what GPs do beyond that if there are any issues like a child with multiple allergies some of the more severe unusual allergies like fpis which stands for food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome or any issues with the growth then we're going to be prescribing them till two years Generally, those children are going to be under secondary care or under a dietitian, and they're going to be advising us back as GPs, like, please keep prescribing this formula. At four, there is still some argument that some of these babies should still be prescribed the formula for another year. And certainly if there's any issues with changing on to something else like soya or oat or pea, milks, these sort of alternatives that you can buy, then I would consider carrying it on beyond that,
0: but at least for the first year of life we've talked about the two different types of formula. You said that in some areas, GPs can only prescribe the EHF formulas. But do you get scenarios where parents might come in and say they want their baby to have an amino acid formula because they've read that they're better in quotes? Is that a common problem that GPs deal with?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think, again, it depends on how much these families are on social media. (laughs) Right. So I see it really commonly in this group that I support. We have several thousand people. So I quite often see people saying you need to go back to a GP and, and demand is usually the word I see, an amino acid formula. And generally, that comes because these families haven't had a a good explanation, perhaps, about what to expect. So they've either the baby's not better as quickly as they thought, because we want to give it at least two weeks, or this baby has often got very difficult eczema that hasn't been treated alongside it very well. So those are the commonest times I see it. Or sometimes if the problem is an allergy in the first place, in which case we would step and try an amino acid formula after a couple of weeks to see if they do get better. But sometimes these demands come because the explanations haven't been perfect at the beginning and some well-meaning person online is suggesting that it's the right thing for them to do.
0: When do you get to the point where infants might need to be referred to a specialist? And actually, the other thing I did want to ask you about this as well is do you often get parents who come in who are really pushing for a referral to a specialist?
1: People do ask for referrals. Again, often if they feel that the management has not helped, then they will ask for a referral for extra help. And that is very reasonable to do. So I think, again, it goes back to which type of allergy we're talking about. So if it's the IgE allergies then areas will differ across the country as to whether they would see a milk allergy or whether they would ask the GP to manage it. But on the whole, certainly in our area down south, we would want to see the IgE milk allergies by a paediatrician or an allergist. And then when it comes to the non-IgE mediated allergies, the NICE guidelines would recommend that once you've confirmed the diagnosis is accurate, that they're referred to a dietitian. But again, the availability of that varies across the country. So I know that doesn't always happen. And in our area, there's a pushback against that. And we're asked as GPs to manage it solely, which is tricky because you need to be able to assess that the child is having enough calcium, vitamin D, iodine. And that's not really our job as as a GP. We're not dieticians. So we don't have that full expertise. And in terms of parents sort of being pushy and asking for a referral, well, the NICE guidelines do include that if there is parental concern about allergy, even if we don't think there is, that they should be allowed to ask for a referral. So I do think that you need to hear their concerns. It's a really tricky scenario we're putting as GPs, though, because quite often we get pushed back from secondary care saying, no. It doesn't meet their criteria. It doesn't meet NICE criteria. And it's because I go back to the fact that we just don't have enough allergists in the UK and they're swamped. But it means that these families are often underserved because they're not getting people with the right expertise to help them. And that's why I try and educate as much as I can, both the patients and GPs to help them manage it, really.
0: Can you explain what a re-challenge is and why it's important that GPs support patients with this?
1: Yeah. So as we sort of said right at the beginning, IgE-mediated allergies are very easy because you can do a test. So as a GP, we could order a blood test or in a clinic, you could do a skin test and we can get an answer. Do you or don't you have a milk allergy? But non-IgE-mediated allergy, they can't, I say they, the scientists cannot figure out a way of, of clearly showing this is present with a blood test or a skin test or any other method So the only way we have to diagnose it is by removing the food for two to four weeks, seeing hopefully if this is an allergy that the symptoms have gone. And if so, we then ask the families to put the milk back in. So either if they're formula fed, you would go back to the cow's milk formula. Or if you're breastfeeding, you would put cow's milk back into your diet to then see whether or not the symptoms come back. And you can imagine as a parent, if you now have a nice, settled baby, why on earth would you want to go back to having a screaming horrible mess? But also because they feel anxious about doing that because they see their babies being in such distress. They don't want to cause them harm. So it's important to reassure these families that you're not causing any long-term harm. And that actually the benefit to them of reconfirming the diagnosis is that if we exclude a food from a child's diet, particularly a child with eczema, indefinitely without good need there is a risk that they might convert from that non-IGE allergy into an IGE mediated allergy which is now life-threatening. Also there's a cost associated with avoiding cow's milk or whatever food we're talking about indefinitely without good need and that's getting more and more in this cost of living crisis and there's also a huge anxiety because cow's milk is everywhere so going to nursery, childminders, play groups, it's everywhere and you know, I see all too often how much it affects people's quality of life. So getting the diagnosis right is really important. And I would also say that for as many babies as I see diagnosed with cow's milk allergy, I probably see even more where when you do the re-challenge, they don't actually have the symptoms anymore. And it was something else that was just transient, which has now gone away. So I just reassure them that we only need to do it until we see symptoms come back. And so if you've just tried... If mums have gone out and tried a latte, say, and their symptoms have come back within 72 hours and it's convincing, then that's the diagnosis made. Or if a baby has tried one bottle of cow's milk formula and all the symptoms have returned, that would be enough. You don't have to go on for weeks. It's just to see clearly if they have symptoms or not.
0: What happens when you get to weaning? So there's, you've got baby, definitely got cow's milk allergy as, as far as we know. What happens when it comes to weaning? What advice can GPs give to parents then?
1: So there are some really good guidelines from the British Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, BSACI. So if you look up BSACI early weaning guidelines, you will find one for parents and one for healthcare. So they recommend that if a child is at a higher risk, and by that we would mean children with eczema, or children who have an egg allergy, which obviously you're not going to know yet, then they recommend early weaning from the age of four months if the infant is ready. So they need to be able to hold their head up and have lost their tongue thrust. And then we recommend early introduction of peanuts using peanut butter and egg because there are some good evidence to support that actually if we can introduce it early and give it regularly three times a week, we will prevent an IgE allergy forming. Now, that advice doesn't extend to a child with a milk allergy because we don't necessarily see them at higher risk. But I think you can assess and discuss it with the parents So I personally do talk to parents about early weaning and if they are happy to do it, because not everybody is happy, they want to wait for six months, then I would support them doing it because there is increasing evidence that the earlier we give peanut butter to everybody, even the general population, the more likely we are to prevent a peanut allergy forming.
0: That's really interesting. What kind of follow up do these children need? How long should you be seeing them after they've got to the weaning point?
1: Once we've sort of confirmed that diagnosis and we've done the rechallenge from a non-IgE mediated allergy point of view, we would say exclude all cow's milk products from that child's diet for six months. And then we would look to be introducing it using a ladder. And you can look up the ladders. If you look up IMAP, which stands for International Milk Allergy for Primary Care Guidelines, it comes with advice about how to do it and recipes. So Basically, you start with baked milk in the form of a biscuit. So when cow's milk is cooked in a matrix, usually with wheat, it makes the milk less reactive. So some children will then tolerate baked milk, but might not tolerate a pure cow's milk drink yet. But you start introducing it, and every few weeks or so, depending on how ready that family are usually to move up, you move up each rung of the ladder to see where the child can tolerate And if they start reacting, you move back to the rung they can cope with and try again in three to six months. So I think you follow them up really until you're happy that they have got milk introduced. If they start to have lots of issues with reintroducing, it might be time to get a dietitian on board. And in terms of the IgE-mediated allergy, generally they're going to be under secondary care, but we will only be introducing the milk ladders for them when we're happy that the tests are low enough to allow that, and so generally that needs specialist guidance.
0: So do most children, will they kind of grow out of it then? Do you see that most of them at some point, they get to the point where they can have milk back in their diet as they get older?
1: Yeah, the majority of children with IgE and non-IgE, mediated cow's milk allergy, will outgrow it by the age of 2 to 3, so around 70%, I think, are the figures. And if you look at true milk allergy persisting into adulthood, it's very, very low. I think it's very difficult because you might talk to parents of children who are five, six, seven, eight with non-IgE-mediated allergies where they haven't actually put the milk in or they feel like they're having difficulty progressing. And yet we look at the number of adults with milk allergy and see it to be much less. So either they're just living without it, which in a world where we do more veganism and plant based might well be the case. Or sometimes what happens is that when children become old enough to make their own decisions about what is or isn't bothering them, they start putting foods back into their diet. So sometimes the children I see with the trickiest issues when they're little have much less of them when they're old enough to make their own choices.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Helen. No problem at all. If anyone ever has any
1: questions, if they need some support, they can reach out. It's h.howells at nhs.net.
0: Further support about the diagnosis and management of cow's milk allergy and any of the issues that we've been talking about today is available via the link to the Cow's Milk Allergy in Practice series on our sister website, MIMS Learning, which we put in the description for this episode. That series is also sponsored by Reckitt, Mead Johnson Nutrition and includes three MIMS Learning modules from the 2022 series, which provide three hours of CPD. Helen presents a webinar called When is an Allergy Not an Allergy? How to Make the History Matter?, The other two webinars cover Why Is My Baby Crying? A GP's Guide to Common Infant Feeding Conditions and When, Why, How? Demystifying Hypoallergenic Formulas. Also available via that link is the recently completed 2023 series of webinars which are now available on demand. So do have a look at those if you want further information on what we've been discussing today. Well, that's it for this bonus episode of Talking General Practice. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to Helen for taking the time to talk with me today. I'll be back with our regular Talking General Practice episode on Friday, so please do join me there.